Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In today's public sector-themed episode, join Sarah Ryle of the AWS Institute as she interviews Liam Maxwell, Director of Government Transformation at AWS, and Mike Bevan, Senior Manager of Government Transformation at AWS. We'll cover the ins and outs of government change management and how working directly with citizens can help leaders build better, stronger services. Today, we're joined by Liam Maxwell, who's the Director of Government Transformation at AWS, and Mike Bevan, who's a digital leader at AWS. And both Liam and Mike worked for a time on programs within the UK government. Today, we're talking about the importance of culture change. So operational leaders, when they think about transformation and modernization, and they hear the word digital, they think, right, I need to go straight to the head of tech to do this. Why should they think a bit differently? I think it's really important to to realise that we call it digital transformation, but that's because it's involving modern digital internet era technology. But the core of what you're doing is changing the operational model of your public service. Transformation just happens in this case to involve some technology and some digital component. But but the really big thing is about the transformation. It's about the change in the business model and the operational model of the of the services that you run that is at the heart of the transformation. I mean what does that need in order in order to motivate people and get them started? Well the main thing to to identify that it's a change in culture and in order to help motivate people and get them moving is that I mean everyone that we've met in multiple years of working in public service everybody is in public service to make things better it's the whole reason why people get involved it's it's to 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 help citizens access the services that they've paid for with their taxes to help people who need support to help people that um, may have fallen through the, the 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 safety net of society and helped them get back on their feet. And everyone in this in this particular industry, I suppose, if you call it that, is about making things better for the citizens that they work with. What transformation helps you do is it gives you the power to make those services better, quicker, better at a much bigger scale than you might have thought possible, and genuinely deliver better outcomes for the citizens. I mean, that sounds like a very, very big ambition. And Mike, you had to deliver that in the UK government. You had to, to translate that ambition into into real real solutions. So how did you start with that? So the established norms, which is kind of what culture generally is, and I always like the definition of it, it's the, the way we do things around here, So the public sector, when we started looking at it in the UK, was very much around a process that you would write a large specification for something. You would then go through a fairly long and complex procurement procedure. Um, At that point, you might start actually building something. And eventually, by the time you went to launch it, A, it had taken a long time. B, you committed to a lot of money and risk. And C, you hadn't really tested it on anyone who might want to consume the thing at the end of it. So... One of the most fundamental things we had to do was get people used to the idea that you would engage with your end user much more earlier 
in that entire process and do things in a much more stripped down, lightweight, but lower cost, lower risk way to test out your, your ideas and theories around that. And that required a number of things. Firstly, was to get the buy-in from leaders that they would provide, and there's a great civil service term called top cover for their people to try and do things in a different way. Secondly, was to provide the support and expertise for people to do this because you're you're taking people out of their comfort zone. Um, so you need to give them, you know, the right coaching, the right support. And also, if they've got to go and have a difficult conversation with their bosses, sometimes go with them and kind of go, this isn't bad. This is just the way these things work so that they don't feel that they're on their own doing it and almost like hold their hand through that process. So it's a question, I guess, of showing that you're as committed as they are. Um, as not just leaving them to it and sort of marking their homework. And there's a great expression uh, that came out that period called um, more hands, less eyes, where you don't have people checking on things, but you actually have people engaged in it and working with them and helping them, you know, make lots of little course corrections to what they're doing. So I think, you know, it was very much around being quite hands-on. It was about getting the right leadership structures and buy-in from that but also starting in a way that was quite low cost and quite low risk so people were happy to take those first steps and then of course delivering results early and often then starts to build confidence and trust do you think people appreciate the scale of of the change that they're having to deliver government often thinks it's very big some things in government are very big and, and the delivery of services and the scale that you operate at can be very big but if you can make some smaller changes to, to get the momentum going behind the reforms you have, that's tremendously powerful. It's much less risky. It's much more engaged with the teams. And teams can then start with small successes and build into much bigger successes. And, and if you're ultimately dealing with a change that's as big as changing the relationship between the citizen and the state, which is what this is doing, being able to start out showing successful small reforms that gather speed and gather scale is is a really powerful way of, of doing that and and that also helps you get buy-in from people as they see something succeeding and something working in a completely different way i mean mike you were talking about you know large procurements that that run for multiple years before they've even engaged with a user and then if you need to make a change the cost on that is absolutely astronomical whereas the the culture and, and and the whole way of operating that you brought in and worked with other people to get was was the sort of the opposite of that it was smaller iterative changeable projects which enabled you to build trust and earn trust with your suppliers but also with your with your colleagues but also with your, um, you know, with with the with the citizens who were starting to use the services and see how they worked. Yeah, and it was yeah. And I'll be honest, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of convincing. Um, and I remember talking through one of the um, exemplar projects, which was around uh, registering to vote, and that was kind of set to work on a fairly traditional process where they would run a procurement, they'd get a large contractor in, they then deliver this thing. So. We managed to convince uh, the senior stakeholders to just give us a period of time to say we can actually create um, a prototype, an alpha, in kind of three months as to what this could look like. And you can test that with some people who are going to have to use it and you can test it with the policy people to make sure it's compliant. If it doesn't do what you want, then fine. Go and go back to plan A. 
but you know for the sake of three months and not much money you can try this approach out and it was an interesting conversation because it got into the realms of you know how do we manage risk how do we assure delivery we need to have these large contracts in place and it got into a bit of a how's that worked in the past type of point where they went actually, should we give your thing a go then um, and not get into that position? And, you know, we managed to work very closely with them. They're very much bought into it and we're able to convince them not by promising a lot of stuff, but actually demonstrating with some working software, some data points that were generated out of putting that working software in front of internal and external stakeholders, that this approach could actually work to deliver that. But some of that software as it was being built was pretty primitive as it was being shown to people. But it was much, much more powerful to show the thing than it was to show a, a PowerPoint deck of what something might look like when it was finally polished after three years of intense engineering. Yeah, and I think the key thing is is that you can sit there with either policy officials or actual you know test candidates who are you know are just ordinary people who volunteer to test these things. And they can kind of sit there and go, I don't like that, or you're not allowed to do that. Well, you'll have to change that bit. And then you can come back next week and go, we've now changed that bit. I mean, it's not beautiful, and there's, there's, there's a lot of sort of sellotape and stuff behind the scenes, but generally it gets them through a process of iterating down to, right, we think that's what will actually work now. And that's the key thing. And, you know, we use the term minimal viable product a lot, but just showing them bare bones, this is what this thing could work like, is that going to do what you need it to do? And they can actually see it and go, well, that bit will, that bit will, that bit won't. Can you change it? Yeah, we can change that. Give us some time. But they actually get to a point where they have confidence then that they're going to get what they wanted. And then weirdly, that they're starting to help design and build the service, which previously had been something which only you know techies with pocket protectors could, 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 could get near in, in some huge, massive waterfall program. And that's it, isn't it? So what you're describing is an agile an agile approach and that in that in and of itself was a different way of doing things right so people were used yes. to they had the skills to do waterfall and project management and that must have been quite a cultural change bringing in agile was something that was really interesting the thing is it's not about relaxing the rules it's about having the discipline to go and and build something and make sure it works or be able to make changes and iterate changes as you go through the process whilst maintaining a really firm grip on the risks to the program and to the implications of, of, of that change. So it's, it's very much about a disciplined approach, which just works in a different way to the other project management methodologies. But if you're building something which needs to have a lot of change, it's good to use a framework which accommodates and actually thrives on a lot of change. And that's, that's what building these services for the first time. And some of these were the first time that anyone had interacted directly with the citizen in many of these circumstances in government. So alongside that sort of project cadence and that discipline, I think it's also important to remember that these, a lot of these projects, firstly, the ones we were doing back then as part of that program, were quite deadline driven still there were pieces of legislation that these things had to be built to meet so things like opening up the electronic gates at airports to overseas visitors which required a whole bunch of registration and pre-processing was declared by the um, home secretary to be happening at a certain point in time so that service had to be built at time so not only do you have 
to put in the discipline and rigor to build the thing to do what it needs to do. But you, you've got like a, an external deadline that you can't kind of go, well, we'll spend another three weeks and see if we can make it nicer. So again, that sort of misinterpretation that it's a kind of um, an open-ended process and, you know, there's no real discipline is actually a very big misconception. And it's very disciplined. It can work to a date-driven world. And a lot of the projects I've been involved in since then have, have had that same kind of interesting combination of trying to um, allow people to learn, iterate, but it's got to be done by a certain date. And that, that spans both the public and private sector I was involved in a very interesting project building a, a blockchain platform that had been committed to the market to go live on a certain date. So it had to go live on that date. Um, and that was built on a complete agile methodology. And you have other levers you pull along the way, uh, as opposed to just trying to do everything by some date in the future. So it can work, but it does need that discipline that Liam's talked about. And, and it also sounds like that's the, that's the power of having somebody very, very senior saying, well, this has just got to happen. Have you managed a digital transformation in the public sector space? We'd love to hear your insights. Share your experience and your takeaways with other digital leaders on our LinkedIn page at AWS Executive Connection. So ultimately, successful reforms have successful buy-in from the top. And when senior operational leaders are driving through reform programs, it's really important that they're empowered and that they empower their teams to do that. And that's where we see re real success. And there are, other, there are other sort of ingredients for success as well, aren't there? So digital transformation in government is a fundamental change between the relationship of the citizen and the state. And that's difficult to get right first time. That's why being able to accept where things don't work well learn from them, go back and improve is right at the heart of the transformation process. That ability to, to see failure as great feedback is possibly the most important thing to learn as you go through this. And, and that is a big cultural change because using failure to make things better has never normally been a recipe for success in government because government is under so much scrutiny. And yet, having the strength and the capability to do that is right at the heart of what we see in successful transformations in government. And Mike, I mean, the idea that that we can just sort of say to people, oh, uh, you're, going to, you're going to be different, you're going to do everything differently and uh, just fail and that's all fine... Is that is that realistic, or or is it possible to give people what what good looks like, or some some guide rails, something to help them? How how do you go about that? So yeah, there's a number of factors. I think firstly, just touching back to the leadership, I think that if the leadership is very bought in and is connected to the change you're trying to do, it is a good way of countermanding the prevalent culture because. You know, people who do not like change will generally say, well, you know, Steve, Jane won't like that, you know, because they're in charge. So if those leaders are seen 
as um, taking part in, you know, things like showcases or whatever the, the work is being talked about, that's really powerful because they are kind of saying, ah, oh, you know, this is how we're doing things now. And this is the, the way we want to show our results you know, publicly. This is how we want to encourage our people. So that leadership and that leadership being attached to not just what's being done, but the way it's being done it is really important. So, so yeah, leaders need to be able to stand up. And when something does happen and you have to change direction because you've learned that your original idea doesn't work, they have to say that's okay. And they have to provide that top cover again to kind of go, well, this is all right because we now know what the right thing to do is. As before, we would have continued down that path because we wouldn't have asked anyone and we would have got there and we'd have spent a lot of money. It wouldn't have worked. Now we know it doesn't work and we can try a different path. So that that's one really important thing. I think the other thing is to give people just some of the, the building blocks they need to get started because – you know, a lot of these services share similar characteristics. So if you can give them things like standards and codes of practice um, that they can work to, that does a couple of things. One, it means they can be quite autonomous. They can get on with it. And what that means is you can run multiple of these things at the same time and you start to get away from large pyramidal type project structures where either everyone succeeds or everyone fails, but you can actually kind of go, well, you people can go at your own pace. You can go as quick as you can. You don't have to wait for everyone to be with you because you know what the kind of rules of the road are in terms of your standards and codes of practice. You know how to get things approved through those standards and those codes of practice. So it is now down to you to kind of take that on board. And you also know where to go to go to for help. And I think that's the other important ingredient is that people have got someone they can go to for assistance. And that same approach works not just for the delivery and building of citizen facing services, but that same approach works for the delivery and building of new approaches to technology and the introduction of new approaches to procurement. And we did a podcast recently about um, the, procuring, the new ways of procuring and using the, um, the digital marketplace and, 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 its, and other examples of that around the world. And those are all based on the fact that you're able to, to take on that idea that you learn from the journey. And as you go along with the journey, you're actually making things better. And admitting that you've made a mistake or admitting that something didn't work, it's actually a really big sign of strength and sign of capability. And that's a completely different way of looking at things. But it's really important that people take that as, 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 as the approach. I think another good example, actually, is the Ministry of Justice. After they'd done a lot of their you know, citizen-facing exemplars, they still had challenges that they were having to print stuff out or whatever else because they built the way for the citizen to talk to the organisation. So they then took that capability to build things in a sort of quick, agile way and started pointing at the technology and actually worked out quite quickly that they needed to build some different APIs so that the new services could talk to the old services. So they went, okay, so we've done some of that stuff and now it's easier to meet important outcomes like people being able to have visits, people being able to have money in prison, which obviously drives better outcomes for, for reforming people and not reoffending. But there was still a lot of the 
civil servants who have to do a lot of running around and retyping stuff. So they then shifted their effort onto finding, right, now how do we start to knit this stuff together, but use the same teams, the same approach, whatever, to actually start getting the technology to work better, which, you know, was invisible to the citizen, but just meant that now it could talk directly to the, the old systems, which freed up the, the civil servants from having to do manual workarounds to make this stuff to work. So it can translate from, you know, right out of the edge to the citizen or right down in the plumbing of the IT at the same time. Um, I might, one of the things we talked about earlier and, and, and in that was bit about being open with not just the, the data, but the approach, but being a, open with the data that people are using or the operational data was one of the biggest transformers I think I've seen in governments where you actually can look at the processes that people are using and see whether they work or not. It does enable you to see how services are working, see the scale that they're working at and understand whether or not you can use them and whether or not they're working optimally and then optimize. And that's, again, going back to making services better and making them work more effectively. Working in the open in that way makes genuinely makes services better. Sorry, small plug in the, in the podcast, but you know we built the performance dashboard now so that people can start to use it as as a tool, we've open sourced it, and yeah, you can. We'll put a link in the podcast for for people to to hook up to it. But it means that you can start to see how your services are really running, which actually not many public servants around the world can see in real time how many people are using their services. It also uh, gives really good insights as, as to how they're used. There, there was a an interesting episode where. Having relaunched carers allowance, um, there was a massive drop off rate after the second or third screen, which caused concerns because they thought they'd broken it. You know, the, the new service had failed because about, I don't know, a third to half of the people are dropping off. But what happened is where they redesigned the service, they moved all the eligibility questions to the beginning of the service. So before people had gone through 10, 15 pages to find that they couldn't actually have this benefit. And all the questions were on the first one or two pages. A lot of people just left because they couldn't have that benefit. But it just saved people a load of time and effort filling in a load of stuff they need to fill in because they were never going to be allowed to have the thing in the first place. And again, it gave that visibility to that phenomenon, um, which was good in saying, hey, we've saved the citizens a load of trouble because they don't now have to fill in things for things they don't need. And B, it gave good insights to you know what a good service design looked like by getting those eligibility criteria in up front meant that you're only then engaging the people who actually could have the thing as opposed to anyone who came along thinking, I'm not sure if I can have this or not, but I'd really love to fill in a load of stuff on a government website to find out that I can't have it. The performance dashboard was, I mean, again, another way of using it that was really, I mean, we put it on iPads in number 10 Downing Street. So when ministers would leave rooms, they would leave meeting rooms, they'd see how many people were using their service live. And and I remember a conversation once with a, with a Secretary of State who turned up and he went, well, only 130 people are using that and I'm spending 300 million on that service. And that was when we went, exactly this is the problem you know now we can have that conversation so there's some tools and some components that you can put together to to help you drive the culture i mean i think the other one is just being open about blogging about stuff was a really powerful and and lots of people thought that was a really flippant sort of oh well we wrote about it but it was really important to be able to write if we wrote about things it sort of gave permission and we got so much feedback about this from from other civil servants it gave people permission 
to talk about what they were doing and to go and do the things they wanted to do because they saw other people doing it. And and in a large organization, public service organizations are very big and lots of people, but that sort of lead is really powerful and really helpful. And so even just down to those forms of low-level communication can be massively influential. And can you go back? I mean, once people have had a taste for a bit more empowerment and seeing results and isn't that wonderful? Does it slip back? I mean, do you have to do certain things to make sure that it endures, that the change goes on? Yes, this was a really interesting period we reached, um, I'm trying to think exactly what point it was through the Exemplar Programme. Just say, what was the Exemplar Programme again? The Exemplar Programme was the 25 services that we aimed to transform in two years between 2013 and 2015, um, that we realised that we were kind of creating these little outposts of different culture, different skills, but we kind of wanted them to be enduring so we had to kind of wrap some things around that and start to understand what those capabilities were um, and how they would start to get a bit enshrined in the fabric of the civil service. So in terms of the role specs or job descriptions they had and things like that, so that they, they started to just look kind of normal and they would be able to survive. Because it's you know when you do big change programs, there's always a risk that when everyone's packed up their stuff and gone home from the program, that the places where you've been working, the things that you've touched on kind of wither a bit because they, they go back to their old ways. So there is a couple of things. One was just about almost like codifying, you know, some of the things that you do so it felt like part of the normal fabric of the civil service. Then the other thing was actually almost instilling a sense of these were good things to be involved in, therefore you kind of want to keep doing this. And the great thing was is that when you do something over two years, you get kind of people travel through that. So and they stay around and they move on to other roles in the civil service and it starts to spread outside of just the original scope of that project. And it's momentum. Yeah. This whole thing runs on momentum. It's momentum and the fact that you said don't go back, but there are a few people who want to go back to services that don't work as well, cost more and upset citizens. You know, why would you, why, why would you ever want to go back to that? And so there is a sort of natural momentum behind this, which if you can harness it and you can foster it, that means that you can really build it. So is it, is it yesterday's problem or is it still very live issue changing culture? It's still very live. <laughs> and there's, there's so many champions out there who we would love to help. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. Be sure to check the show notes for a link to the performance dashboard Liam mentioned. For more public sector insights, visit aws.amazon.com institute. If you enjoyed this conversation, please help us spread the word by subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. Until next time.